The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord God, we thank you for this unique week, the beginning of a journey in Advent. And Lord, we pray that on this path that you would teach us what it means to live in anticipation. God, we believe that this story is truly the story that changes all things for all people and all places. And we ask, God, that you would uh, help us in a season filled with distractions, Lord, to see your activity everywhere. We know that your spirit has come to live in us. We know that you've promised to abide with us, to be present with us always, and yet, Lord, so often, even the fact that we we can see your handiwork, your fingerprint on every part of nature and everywhere we look, and yet so often we miss you. And so we ask today, God, that as we take a unique hour in the course of our week, as we pause and listen, as we open the scriptures, that you would help us to see you and to enter your story of love and grace We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia on the west side. One of the things we are um, always learning on this journey, there's a lot uh, to learn and we get to observe, but one of the things that I have loved about this community is that... um, There is a warmth in the way that you greet one another. I don't know if it's because we have uh, tacos are the first thing you see when you come in and you just smile uh, reflexively, but there is a warmth to the way that uh, you care for one another that I so appreciate uh, and enjoy. I wanted to start um, the message I had to share with you with a question. I'm curious if you can reflect on a time that you felt like you were talking, maybe you were even saying something important, that you were talking and no one was listening. Like, no one was listening. If you're a parent, you likely know a little bit of what this feels like, right? If you're a teacher, do we have any teachers in the room? Teachers know what this feels like, right? You're talking and even it can be silent and no one is listening. I often, uh, when I sit on a plane, um, I identify with the flight attendant in ways you could hardly fathom, right? Who gets up every time and has this important message that's been mandated by the government to share. You've got a captive audience. Literally, people can't go anywhere. And yet, not a single person is listening to a single word they are saying. And I gotta be honest with you, as I, I look at my journey as a pastor, I've been a pastor, now I keep having to do the math, but it's more than I think. It's about more than 25, 26 years. The majority of that time, the worst time of year to be a pastor started right now. I'd get up to preach week after week after week, and it's not just reciting something the government told you to recite, it's actually something you put your heart and soul and effort and you pray through, and you get up and you say this important message and not a single person is listening. In fact, what I'd propose to you that for most of my ministry as we got closer and closer to Christmas, everyone was so distracted living a life that was the exact opposite. They actually thought they were celebrating the thing I was talking about by doing things that totally didn't fit in the story of what I was talking about. 
They actually thought they knew what I was saying and so they could just dial out, right? And so here I was declaring a story that God not only created the world and loved the world, but he loved the world so much that he entered into it in the form of a baby so that he could bring a radical revolution in people's hearts. And this is a great story, by the way. I don't know if you can tell I get fired up when I start telling it. But overall, this kingdom he came to establish of love and grace and this opportunity to enter into that story and celebrate it every year as we commemorate his birth the way we were doing it was by doing the exact opposite of the things he called us to do. Focusing on a material world that he said didn't really matter in that way and getting so busy and distracted that we missed all the most important things around us. I gotta tell you, when you're a pastor and you do that year after year after year, it's beyond discouraging. Discouraging is not the right word. In fact, years ago, uh, I was with a group of pastor friends uh, we were overseas, we love Jesus a lot, so we'll go to dark, difficult, hard countries that many of you won't go to. We were in the Bahamas. And, um, and as we sat in the Bahamas, um, the later the night gets with pastors, the more honesty that rolls out. And one of my dear friends who's a pastor said words you wouldn't think you'd hear from a pastor, and he just said it as passionately as you can imagine. I hate Christmas. You hear that, you think, well, that, that doesn't sound very Christian. Do you know what it feels like to be a flight attendant? Who's just constantly telling a story and people think they're, li they're not listening. I, we knew exactly what he was saying. He, he doesn't hate, Chris, he doesn't hate the, the true celebration of the birth of Jesus the King who came to liberate all people. But being a pastor in that season was hard. And so his statement started a whole new conversation and that whole new conversation started uh, an experiment with Ecclesia and some other churches that we called Advent Conspiracy. And we said, what if in the waiting and anticipating for Jesus' birth, we got really serious about the actual story of Jesus' birth? And in it, this is what we said. We said, if anything good was gonna happen at Christmas time, it would all flow out of worship. And that's part of what I wanna talk to you about today that we're a people made to worship Jesus the King. And this is the reason I'm a pastor, right? I promise you, it's not for the earthly gains that you get, right? The reason I do this is because that's the best story you could ever tell. And then when you really tell it well and people hear it and they enter into the story of Jesus, it changes everything for everyone. And so we said, if we can be a people that focus first and primarily on worship, that it would transform our congregations, that we would worship fully. I'm curious for you, if you think about the places that you're able to worship. And by worship, that doesn't mean just sing songs. But it means allow God to have your heart, right? That you're really present with God. Where are the places in your life that you're able to do that well? Anybody? What's that? Bedroom, so in a private place, a quiet place? On a walk, right? Part of what we heard, what was that? The mountains. The mountains. That's part of what we hear in, in, in the nine o'clock service as well. By the way, the nine o'clock seemed to have a lot of serious Texans fans. All of a sudden, the Texans are in the playoff hunt and people start shifting to the earlier service. So um, it's fascinating. It's fabulous to be a pastor and examine the psychology that goes on. Three losses, nobody was at the nine o'clock service. All of a sudden, 
you rack up a few wins and people are getting a little more serious about their football team. I get it. They came worship Jesus first. That's a good thing. We heard a lot of people talking about nature, right? Hopefully church is on the list for somebody. Anybody, if you can't worship when this band leads you in beautiful melodies, I'm just telling you, they are beautiful. And, and my fear is that too often you're so busy when you get here, you're just starting to worship about the time we hit the last song. Anybody honest enough to go, I was thinking about things that had nothing to do with worship or Jesus whatsoever as we worship. Just me. I'm the only one. Good. Some of the rest of you are too. Just distracted. I want to encourage you to say, I, I, if you came to the nine o'clock, you should stay and worship. You don't have to listen to my message again. It's not good enough to listen to twice, but you could stay and worship again the second time. And my guess is you'd go, you know what? I kind of got the cobwebs out and I was actually ready to be present with God. Um, that an extra 30 minutes of worship and singing would be really good for you. For me in nature, this week it was on the golf course, right? And I just literally like, yeah, I put on worship music as I played. And all of a sudden, if you don't care about your shots, your shots get better, right? And out in nature, just this beautiful place to be able to worship. I wonder, um, if we were to come together in Advent in anticipation and worship, and then we said this is a conspiracy. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word conspiracy? What comes to mind? Secrets, theories, right? Aliens, right? JFK came up in the last service, like, or, or you know, these conspiracy theorists that think the, you know, we never landed on the moon because apparently there's no wind on the moon. So like, why is the flag blowing or something? They had all kinds of crazy ideas. Conspiracy, by definition, right, it just means a group of people that come together to counteract, right, this dominant force, that we create a movement together. And, and part of what I would suggest to you, if you're really going to worship Jesus in this particular season, it's going to take an intentionality that you've never imagined before. Because the momentum of where things are headed are so moving towards, in this season particularly, materialism, busyness, um, a focus on what's uh, shallow and unimportant. I mean, it's just, it's, that's where the stream is flowing. So literally, you have to be like the salmon that's determined to swim upstream. Anybody swam against, any serious swimmers here that have really swam against the current? You've had, like, it's the, it's the most challenging thing to do, right? And, and you're swimming at times. You'll be swimming against the current, and you realize, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm, I'm pushing with everything I have to go this direction, and it's pushing me this direction. What I want to suggest to you today is that's what will happen unless you get serious about laying yourself before the feeding trough that baby Jesus has laid in. Oftentimes people ask us, so Advent Conspiracy is really just like that old slogan, right? Keep Christ in Christmas, right? And I'll go, kind of. Um, sometimes that can get off course in a few ways. Um, you know, there's, there was a whole movement when I was growing up, people get really mad if people said Xmas. Anybody heard that before? You really fired up like, hey, you're not supposed to say Xmas. It's cr you're taking the Christ out of Christmas. And then you'll go take a Greek class and quickly find out that the X is is just the symbol for Christ, right? So um, it, it literally just means somebody knows more Greek than you know. <laughs> so often people get, I do it often just so people will get aggravated like that. And I'll go, How many Greek courses did you take? Right. 
Um, it means Christ. But this idea of like what it means to keep Christ in Christmas often is misconceived as well, because I think we often think, well, I'm gonna keep Christ in Christmas. The question is, which Christ will you include in your Christmas? For many, it's Santa Christ, right? <laughs> Everybody loves Santa Christ. And, and really what happens with Santa Christ is that Santa Christ just comes along and is just a nice little accoutrement to the season that we wanna have, right? And our focus on merriment and gift giving. And we just bring Jesus along for the ride. Or maybe the Jesus that you want to keep in Christmas is white Jesus, right? Anybody else see these from time to time and just go, you think this is what Jesus looked like? Anybody think Jesus looked like this? And, and white Jesus, right? I had a, a group of uh, Zambian kids this summer. I got to go with Family Legacy and love on a group of Zambian kids. And they give you devotionals and things to do. When you're a pastor, you just throw it out and you do whatever you feel like doing with these kids, right? So one day I'm with these kids and I just ask them, all right, kids, you got 10 kids and you got two adult Zambians. And I asked them, what color was Jesus? Right. What do you think they said? 12 out of 12 said he was white. Jesus was white. So you sure? Jesus was white. I said, how do you know? And they pointed to some material we gave them and said, he's white right there. And when I told them Jesus wasn't white, right? I said, no, Jesus' skin was much closer to your skin than my skin. Now, again, in whatever tradition you come from, you can imagine Jesus however you want Jesus to look. The, the issue for us with white Jesus is that what we often do is we just, we want a Jesus that looks like us and thinks like us and acts like us and ultimately, we love Jesus because Jesus really agrees with me. And as long as Jesus is on board with me, it's really easy to love Jesus. But part of what I want to suggest to you is if you're keeping the Christ in Christmas, it's a white Jesus that always agrees with you. That's not Jesus. It's not even close to Jesus. Or some get really fired up about warrior Jesus. You know any Christians that are, they're, clear, they're worshiping warrior Jesus. They want to fight, right? They're made to fight. And they said, Jesus is here and he's ready to win and he's ready to fight, right? The only problem with that is when Jesus could have fought, when he should have fought, he was attacked, he was tortured, he was killed, and he didn't fight. So it's really hard to embrace fighting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What I want to suggest to you today is the only Jesus that you can worship, truly worship, and keep Christ in your Christmas the only one you can is baby Jesus. He's this baby that enters the world through the womb of a young girl in the most humble and lowly circumstances entirely to change the world. And so in that way, I reminded you, I, I want people to keep Christ, keep Christ in Christmas. If you see me, I hope you say Merry Christmas, but I told you a couple of weeks ago, right? I don't want people to say to me, Merry Christmas, unless they mean Merry Christmas. You remember what I told you Merry Christmas means, right? right? Christ is not Jesus' last name. It was not Joseph Christ and Mary Christ and Jesus Christ. Nobody else carries that title, nobody. 
It says that Jesus was the king that came to liberate all people. That's a big declaration. And so when you say Merry Christmas, you're saying great joy to you in your celebration that Jesus has come to be the king to liberate and free all people. If you say Merry Christmas, you gotta mean it, right? In fact, I'd love to suggest to you this year, maybe you don't say Merry Christmas. Instead, you say great joy to you that Jesus has come to be the liberating king who frees you and all people. It takes a little longer. It's a little harder on the Christmas card. But I don't know that Merry Christmas means anything anymore. And if they say Merry Christmas every time you come into Best Buy, I don't think they mean great joy to you that Jesus is the king who came to free and liberate all people. And I think if you say it, that you ought to mean it. So what do we do? We want to be a people that figure out in this season, what would it look like if we really began to worship the king who made all things? So it's fascinating in this journey. We're gonna look at a couple of groups of people. We may not get to all three of them. Um, We're gonna try to get some of them. But two that worship, right? Today in Luke, the shepherds that worship, the wise men that worship. You get this other unique character in this part of Luke who does not worship, Herod. What does Herod do? It's not even close to worship, right? Herod goes on the assault. Why? Why do you think Herod's on the assault? He threatens his empire, right? He threatens his empire. And part of what I want to suggest to you today is that Jesus, baby Jesus, you can probably co-opt white Jesus and warrior Jesus and Santa Jesus, but you can't co-opt this baby Jesus. He's a threat to your empire, and you've got one. You've got, he's a threat to your empire. I spent the weekend at a beautiful place uh, at Horseshoe Bay and uh, outside of Austin. Anybody been there? It's just beautiful. And uh, I was with a bunch of Christian business guys, and uh, a lot of them have had some significant events in their life. It seems like almost everybody I talked to had had a moment that they sold a business and had a big event, right? And so everybody I'd ask their story, they'd say, yeah, so I had a liquidity event, you know, four years ago. When you talk to a pastor and you say you had a liquidity event, to us that means you peed your pants. We don't really know <laughs> what a, that's a liquidity event for me. Uh, but when you sell your business and all of a sudden you got a lot of money, that's a different kind of liquidity event, Right. And what, what you felt in every one of those conversations is there's a responsibility that came because suddenly, whether I wanted it or not, I got an empire and I tell you, everybody's got one. And what you got to know is Jesus is a threat to your empire because it's not yours. It's his. And when you come to this season of worship for Jesus, if you're trying to hold on to your empire, it's not going to go well for you. And Herod was threatened by Jesus, because Jesus was ready to say, this is all my kingdom. This doesn't belong to you, Herod. And he comes in this season and says the same to us. So it's fascinating, this is the passage we're gonna, we're gonna look at. In Luke chapter two, we get the first public announcement. There's a couple of private announcements to Mary, Joseph, key family members, that Jesus is coming and you get this public announcement. Apparently today, if you have a baby, this is like a big deal. When Lisa and I were having babies, Maybe you'd get a little postcard, a little announcement. Now it's like you've got to have a, a, a film degree uh, to announce that you're having a baby and then what gender your baby is. I get three or four of these uh, announcements every week. Uh, this one is maybe my uh, likely favorite. 
This is just another reason. There are a lot of churches that have like a pyrotechnics license and we're never gonna have one of those up here. There will be no fireworks ever used at Ecclesia for any event. It's always made to backfire. So how do they announce Jesus' birth? Well, of course the angels do it, right? And when they make a public announcement, who do they go to, right? God could go to anybody, anybody, and announce the birth of this baby king. And who does he go to? The shepherds. Now, this is not a subculture we're used to, but think gypsy. Think people that live outside, homeless people. Think people that never bathe. These people are on the outskirts. They are the other. And God goes, I can announce it to anybody whom I'm going to the shepherds. Let's go to the people that have no hygiene but a lot of heart. And in Luke chapter 2, it tells us that nearby, in the fields outside of Bethlehem, a group of shepherds were guarding their flocks from predators in the darkness of night. And suddenly, a messenger of the Lord stood in front of them, and the darkness was replaced by a glorious light, the shining light of God's glory, and they were terrified. Now, this is what I want to suggest to you, Ecclesia, that like the shepherds, if you really want to encounter the real Jesus, not Santa Jesus, not white Jesus, not warrior Jesus, really baby Jesus, that for at least a moment in this season, you should be terrified. When I talk about Jesus threatening your empire, you ought to feel a bit threatened. Because if you really worship Jesus in the end, it's really going to belong to him. You're not going to be the same at the end of this journey. And if you're mission is to stay the same, Advent should scare you. Now, gratefully, the shepherds don't stay scared. They move to the place where they're ready to encounter Jesus, but at the beginning, it's terrifying. The messenger says, don't be afraid. Listen, I bring good news, news of great joy, news that will affect, read it with me, whom? All people, where? Everywhere. Now, has that story changed? No, same story. Today in the city of David, a liberator has been born for you. He is the promised anointed one, the Messiah, the supreme authority. You will know you have found him when you see a baby wrapped in a blanket lying in a feeding trough. Now, this is where you know this story. (laughs) If it what? It's so strange, it has to be true, right? Just look at that last line. Who is he? He is the supreme authority. How many people get that title? That's the kind of title that the dictator of North Korea gives to himself, right? This is big, this is a big claim. Where are you gonna find the supreme authority? Oh, he's a baby in a blanket and an animal dish. That's where you'll find him. What, what? The shepherds were astonished. The hearers originally were, and still were astonished. At that moment, it tells us, the first heavenly messenger was joined by thousands of other messengers, a vast heavenly choir, and what did they do? 
they praise God. What should we do at Advent? We should praise God. If you hear that announcement and you believe that announcement, what should it prompt in you? A response of praise. And this is what I want to suggest to you, Ecclesia, even if you meet the baby Jesus, right, and you've decided you're done with Santa Jesus and you're done with white Jesus and you're done with warrior Jesus, you want to meet the the real Jesus and worship him, here's the next problem. Even when you look at the real Jesus, this season is so filled with busyness It's so filled with parties and distractions. And the odds of you getting distracted from focusing on Jesus are just so high. So what I want to encourage you to do is say, I want you to begin to plan. Have an Advent devotional. Have a time of Advent prayer. Commit to be a part of worship experiences over the course of this season. And be together as a family and ask God to change you and transform you in this season. And by all means, do what the angels did, sing and praise. And it tells us this is what the heavenly choir began to sing. These are the moments, by the way, that when I read these, these they're not, this isn't a passage about heaven, right? But we even just think of the passing of um, our beloved Houstonian president um, down the road this week. And, um, and just beginning to imagine, last night I was watching, as probably many of you were, some of the tributes um, to President George Herbert Walker, Walker Bush. I loved one of the things that Barbara said about him. She said, he, he's, he doesn't just talk about his faith, he acts his faith. His faith is the way he lives. It's demonstrated in the way that he lives. But as I begin to imagine this reunion with a wife you love, with a daughter that you've missed uh, for so long, and you just begin to think, what? The choir's just like always going up there. The mu- just music. I, for me, it's just music, food, and wine. That's what I think heaven is. So I'll preach a whole series on it. I'll tell you why I'm justified. Jesus said to the disciples, right? He said, I won't drink the new wine until you're in the kingdom with me. So. You think Camus is good, wait till you get to heaven. It's it's gonna be good, it's all gonna be good. And in these passages, we just get a glimpse, right? You're not in heaven, we just get a, like the heavenly choir just comes down for a moment. And just say, hey, let me just show you what heaven's gonna be like. And this is what they're singing. To the highest heights of the universe, glory to God. And on earth, peace among whom? all people who bring pleasure to God. Is he saying all people, only the ones who bring pleasure to God? No, he's saying all all people bring pleasure to him. You're like, those people bring pleasure to him? Yeah, those people. Think of whoever you really don't like and they bring pleasure to God, And we all have them. If you act like you don't have them, you're lying and you're in church, you shouldn't, right? We all have them, but whoever they are, they bring pleasure to God. And as soon as the heavenly messengers disappeared into heaven, the shepherds were buzzing with conversation. And the shepherd says, let's rush down to Bethlehem right now. Let's see what's happening. Let's experience what the Lord has told us about. What, What do you do when Jesus speaks to you, when God speaks to you in this season? You act. Just like Barbara Bush said, that's a, he, he didn't just talk about it, he acts, he listens and acts. So they ran into town and eventually 
they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a feeding trough. And after they saw the baby, they spread the story of what they'd experienced and what had been said about Uh, said to them about this child. Everyone who heard their story couldn't stop thinking about its meaning. This is what I want to tell you, Ecclesia. If you really meet Jesus, if you really worship Jesus in this season, you're going to have to tell some people about it, and our worship is going to multiply. Part of what we do at Advent is we begin to gather our resources so that we can share the love of Jesus with people, particularly through clean water. It's a big part of what we think we've been called to do. And part of the story I'm going to share with you in a minute is going to help you understand how we begin to share here and worship. This is what I would tell you. True worship multiplies into more true worship. More people begin to worship. You begin to tell the story. Others want to hear it. We begin to share the way we're made to, and others begin to live it. It tells us that Mary, too, pondered all of these events, treasuring each memory in her heart, The shepherds returned to their flocks, praising God for all they had seen and heard, and they glorified God for the way the experience had unfolded, just as the heavenly messenger had had predicted. This story led to worship, which led to more worship, which calls us into this story that continues to do the same. This summer when I was uh, in Zambia, I got to be a part Uh, of a conference, and we pulled together both in Zambia and many other African nations a large number of the pastors that work with us at Living Water International. It's my favorite time. In the same way uh, that I told you when I get away to the Bahamas with my buddies, they'll tell you the truth. When you get with pastors, doesn't matter what continent you're from, they'll just tell you the truth. They'll tell you what's going on. They'll tell you the stories, and it's beautiful to hear. One of those pastors and one of those stories came from a community in Zambia called Lesitu, and um, it's a place of great need. And it's a place that I want to share with you because in that context, our worship and the ways that we worshiped last year have multiplied in new ways to worship. You're literally going to hear the story of how people are now in church uh, because of our worship and generosity. And then after we hear this story, I want to invite you to do what maybe we should do more weeks is after we hear about uh, worship from the scripture, I'm going to invite the band back up and they're going to lead us in another song. And I'm going to invite you to put to practice Um, some of what we've been uh, learning about and studying about and praying about. Um, So this is our brother Collins that's sharing this story. Collins was just with us uh, several weeks ago. Um, Collins works for Living Water International in Zambia, and if you got to meet him, he's an easy guy uh, to love. In this country, when you talk about the name Lusitu, what comes to the mind of most people is that it's a place of hunger. People do not go grow corn, so they survive on millet and, uh, and sorghum. The rent for pardon is not too good here. We discovered people were going to fetch water into, in the river. They were digging in the sand. They get the water from the sand. It's from the same point animals would come to drink from. And so the people in the community, the diarrhea cases were so high. And because they were having high diarrhea cases, they were not even appearing in church because most of the time they were feeling uncomfortable. We started the partnering with the local churches around here. One of the reasons why we started partnering with the local churches, we found we, we can take the gospel further 
But if there's no one to take care of the work that we are doing, it's not gonna be, it's not going to be helpful. And in Lusitu, we partnered specifically with a church called the Baptist Union of Zambia. It's a small community, a rural church, but at the same time, it's a church that is doing ministry amongst many needs. We were trying to help them to begin to find solution to the needs that are found in their community. It might be the, the people that have disability, they help them. It might be construction of latrine. It might be food supplies to people that the vulnerable groups in the community. So we've provided this training for the church, looking at ministry from the holistic perspective. So when we came in with the help of Ecclesia Church, we did a number of water points in the Lusitu community. And when we did the number of water points in the Lusitu community, most people stopped going to the river. People started now drinking water from a clean source. Diarrhea diseases have been, have been reduced because of the clean water that we have provided. So most of them, this time you find they are able to go into church because they fetch water from a near point and less, they spend less time and they can easily walk and go to church. I strongly feel God called me to come and minister here. And I feel I'm at the right place and I enjoy doing ministry among these people. Coming to reaching people in the rural places, sometimes pastors would feel it's not comfortable to be in rural places. But for me, I enjoy to be with them. I enjoy to eat with them. I enjoy sharing the gospel with them. It just makes my heart so so, so happy when I see them turning to Jesus, when I see them coming to church to worship the Almighty God. I think that blesses my heart so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.